Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Free Kick early Saturday morning here. Martino Puccio, Davis Maddock alongside me. Davis, how's it going, man? Finally getting ready for some more early morning soccer, huh? Dude, the, the summer of soccer, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't what we thought it was going to be. You know, no Euro 2020, no Gold Cup, uh, no Copa America, nothing like that. But start from when you and I are talking right now, today, the Sevilla-Real Batiste match is about to start for the next... I, I'm going to guess 70 days. There's going to be top flight European soccer played every single day. No breaks. No breaks. And then and then we jump into NFL training camp, basically. It's just going to carry us over into that um, in the start of that season. So that's that's what's like so great about being able to love both sports, in my opinion. Because there's really you're not really going to miss any time. Everyone is like always complaining, oh, there's only MLB in, in the summer and, and like some NFL news and stuff like that. It's like, nah, if you if you follow like other leagues, if you're into MLS, like, it's all year round and even international tournaments. Um, yeah, so I mean, let's get into it. There, there's a bunch of stuff you just mentioned. La Liga is returning, so I'm really excited for that. We discussed it a little bit last week uh, with the Champions League races. Um, there's always relegation battles and even the race for the title is always interesting as well. Um, yeah, I mean, what are, you, what are you looking forward to more here? Are you looking into the futures or just DFS? Because I know DFS is obviously your bread and butter. But um, tell me, like, what are you looking most forward to uh, with La Liga? Uh, so in La Liga, I actually like um, the, the prices that you can get on Real Madrid to win the league. Uh, I think if you look at uh, if you think if you look at the teams and look at who might benefit more from some time off, right? You know who who would have been able to uh, get in the lab and uh, you know get themselves healthy. Uh, I think that uh, you know Real Madrid at plus one thirty five on the FanDuel sportsbook. I I think that is an excellent price, right? So look at some of these Madrid guys who are you know these are the guys who are leading the team in minutes. You have Kareem Benzema who leads them in minutes and is their leading goal scorer. He's 32 years old. You're telling me a 32-year-old forward isn't taking this three months to go basically put his knees on ice and feel better. Sergio Ramos is 34. Tony Cruz is 30. Luka Modric is 34. Um, Gareth Bale, even, you know, he is he's 30 years old and is always hurt. Like, these guys getting this three-month break, I know Barcelona also is an older-ish team, but I think that this was certainly more of an advantage for Madrid than Barcelona. Yeah, I think the one advantage I think Barcelona, you could say, if you want to uh, play devil's advocate, would be you get Luis Suarez back, which because he, everyone thought that he was pretty much done for his whole career there. Who knows if he comes over here to America. Uh, and then just, you know, getting established with Kike Setien, right? Because they, they hired their new manager. So that always takes time to implement a system like that and get to his play style. He used to be Betis' manager. So, um, that's something there. I did take actually Real Madrid a while back when we were doing uh, uh, the show. So I think I got him at plus 160. To, so to see that drop, um, I, I feel pretty good about it now. Um, and then, yeah, so Benzema, my only quarrel with Real Madrid would just be the goal scoring issue because I, I don't think they've had a proven goal scorer that they would like to have. Luka Jovic has apparently had more off-field issues with Real Madrid and they're very upset with him at this point. So he's almost 100% on his way out this summer if they could figure out some sort of deal with his wages and all that stuff. So for, so for me, I think it's going to be a really entertaining uh, few matches because now the fun part about this is they're not going to be playing each other anymore, Barcelona, Real Madrid. It's just going to be who drops points against teams they shouldn't drop points against. And are you comfortable with taking Real Madrid on top of the value that you like? Uh, yeah, I, I am 100%. I mean, I think that uh, if you know if we were going to view things from like an American sports perspective, I actually think if Madrid and Barcelona played each other, you know, 10 times over the course of the season, I legit think this Real Madrid team is better. Uh, and there are a couple reasons for that. Yes, uh, you know, Barcelona did get 
um, Luis Suarez back. And that makes a ton, you know, that makes a huge difference for them because, you know, that means they're not playing Ansu Fati, a literal 16-year-old in their forward line. Uh, you know, it means that Griezmann can play in a position that's more natural to him, which is, you know, as like a support striker out on the left. You know, he's not uh, not forced to be the the very head of the attack. However, I mean, I basically think that this team has one and a half superstar players, right? Suarez at the age of 33 is like a B plus. He's no longer an A. Antoine Griezmann is having his worst season in terms of expected goals, you know, since he was a kid, basically. And, you know, we're looking at big contributors on this team really all just being I, I guess you could argue Frankie De Jong is a world class player. Like I'd probably I'd probably accept talent. That, yeah, but, I, th- I don't think he's yeah. all, all the way there yet. Yeah. Exactly. So I just I just think this Madrid team is just right now a better on field product. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think they've actually done a better job of developing their youth players, which is kind of funny because we're so accustomed to Barcelona doing that, and and we have Real Madrid. Um, in that situation. So I'm definitely excited for that. Um, again, this Champions League race, switching over to the Bundesliga now. I mean, this Champions League race is just getting crazy at this point. Leipzig did drop the points. Uh, unfortunately, they were they were holding on for, for the most part because they were playing down a man for, for more than a half uh, against Paderborn. And you never want to drop points against uh, the worst side possible in the league. But they still managed. They're up three points ahead. Leverkusen and Mönchengladbach are really going to be battling for this. And this weekend's going to have those types of games that matter a ton, right? We get Leverkusen gets against Schalke. That's a much better matchup for them because Gladbach gets Bayern Munich. I know Bayern played midweek in their game against Frankfurt. They advanced to the final, which they will play Leverkusen um, in the Pokal final. But for me here, uh, this this is a must-win for Leverkusen. Like there's there can't be any excuses, especially the way Schalke has been playing since the league has resumed. Um Gladbach, very difficult game. It doesn't matter when you play Bayern. Um at the end of the day they could start Tiago if that is uh something that they want to go down in that path. I mean, look, th- this has got to be a Leverkusen day, right? I mean, there's no excuses at this point in my opinion. So for Leverkusen, you know, if they are only able to get a draw out of this match, I would think that that kind of, well, so because Borussia Mönchengladbach gets their game against Bayern this week, so I I would say this combination would be a disaster for Leverkusen, Uh, a draw on the road at Schalke, and Borussia Mönchengladbach finding a way to get a point against Bayern Munich would be just a stone-cold disaster for Leverkusen. I think Obviously, what might save Leverkusen is they do they don't have another game left against Munich. They just played theirs, took their took their four two beat and got out of there with their tail between their legs. But you know, I I'm not super worried about Mönchengladbach getting the point. I'm more worried about Leverkusen finding the win. Their current form, you know, just really really not uh, not great for Leverkusen. So I'm a little worried there. I think what's also important is the goal differential because the reason that Leverkusen is not in that fourth spot right now is because the difference is five at this point. So if there is a scenario in which Bayern does win, you better hope for like two to three nothing if, if somehow that could work out. And then you win and they win their game one to two nothing on top of the points that they collect and go ahead by three, then they're also going to be closing that gap. Um, for goal differential, just in case they do eventually drop points uh, with whatever few games that they have left. So we'll get into that a little bit later. But League Un now, we know they decided to end their season, but they're not relegating anybody. So this, the, I find this very fascinating. I think teams yeah. definitely get bailed out in this scenario because we know how how devastating it can be economically for a club. On top of the fact that it's just, I mean, it's just not good to not play in the top flight league in the first place. So what are your thoughts on this? Did, did you think there should have been some sort of playoff for the, for some of the teams that were in the second division that deserve to get the promotion at this point? Because there were a lot of games that were played out and it, and it seemed like it was, it could have been fair to have at least had a playoff in this scenario. Yeah, I mean, well... And what do we know what is happening with the League Two teams? Like are they are they having no promotion and just playing the seasons back? I, I would assume you would just have to just keep everything the way it is at this at that point, right? Because it would just be odd to promote teams in the third division, have them move up, and then you just don't have you know Well they could they could uh so so right now the teams in the automatic promotion spots in um League Two would be uh Lorient and Lens. 
I guess theoretically you could just add those teams and play a year of Ligoon with 22 teams instead, right? And then just have I and so they have the chance in 2021 to like make that that League One money. I I would I mean that is certainly what uh, I. Like everyone's pretty happy with that solution, right? No one gets relocated. I guess the the only people that wouldn't be happy would be the fact that there would to get things back to even you'd have to have four relegated teams in Ligoon next season instead of just two. Yeah, I mean, I think I think for everyone in general, right? I think maybe some clubs would get a little upset that you played so bad for so long and you don't get any punishment for it. You're kind of like rewarded with an extra season. But you reward the other teams. I think it would benefit teams that were in the third division that get a chance to move up to the second one. Um, I think that's a big plus for them there. Um, look, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I still think France might have called everything a little too early in that regard um, because we also discussed how Lyon was pretty upset with the scenario that they didn't have a chance to get back into a Champions League spot. So I, I think it's really going to be interesting to see uh, the whole reaction as the summer goes along there. But I want to talk about some other summer moves, right? Because Timo Werner was basically announced to go to Chelsea. That was a shock signing there. But now Kai Havertz might be going to Chelsea. I mean, at this point, I thought, okay, Timo Werner, Ziyech, that's an amazing summer alone, even if you just make a couple other small additions. They're also linked to Chilwell from Leicester City, the jersey you're wearing there. Um, so, look, if they get Kai Havertz at this point, man, <laughs> I don't even know what to say because they're getting all the top talents from Bundesliga Pulisic. They get Werner now. Uh, I, we obviously know Ziyech from, from Ajax and Holland. But now, if you get Kai Havertz in this, man, I mean, can you dream up a bit a better summer on paper for Chelsea? Because it just it seems to get better and better by the week. Yeah, it is great. I'm wondering, though, what their plan would be for Mason Mount in all of this, right? Or or also Mateo Kovacic, because, you know, they only have they only have so many spots. I mean, I think Jorginho guess, might get sold back uh, to Italy, go to Juventus with Sarri again, right. because she, they lost out on Tonali now. They need midfield. I think that's a scenario uh, potentially, but uh, go ahead. Well, I, I guess I'm also wondering, you know, maybe they're getting to that point of like, okay, Willian, Pedro, you know, great. Thank you for your service to the club. Um, we will, we'll, we'll see you guys. I'm also wondering if instead of buying Kai Havertz as a midfielder, as like a creative player, they're trying to buy him as a finishing player and playing him at striker, you know, where they're playing Tammy Abraham. Maybe they switch to playing the more English style, 4-4-2. I mean, I would, I would think no. But I, I, I guess it is. I guess it is. a. I mean, Frank Lampard would love to play the 4-4-2, right? Uh, with with his, his one big and Tammy Abraham is one, you know, one, one big, one small is the, the classic English way of playing the game. And certainly Havertz could be could be the smaller player there next to Tammy Abraham. But I, I don't think that uses the full strength of Kai Havertz. Like, I, I do think he is better as a player who can use his passing to distribute the ball in the midfield and link the defense to the attack. But it's very interesting to always see what they what they end up doing because Chelsea, more so than any other team, they seem to just sway based on what their manager wants to do. So I guess we'll see what Frank wants to do. Yeah, I mean, it's really going to be interesting. I think Pedro and William are probably on the way out, as you mentioned. But when we get back here on the free kick, we're going to be talking some MLS and other leagues. Stay tuned. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. All right, welcome back here to the free kick. We're going to keep it rolling with some of the more top European leagues, but before... Serie A returns in Italy. We got to get some Coppa Italia matches out of the way uh, because that's what Italy loves to do. Italy is so mind-boggling, Davis, because they already announced that all these games were going to be playing, but all of a sudden, middle of this week, they're like, we haven't 100% given the okay to play these two semifinal matches in Italy. If you look all over the place, I talked to my friends from Canada, friends from Italy, and other countries in Europe, they didn't have a set date time, and they didn't get that in until uh, mid-afternoon Thursday in America, so that's how much they're on top of their stuff in Italy. Um, so basically, we're going to be talking about today's match between Inter and Napoli. Uh, Napoli won the first matchup one to nothing. Inter, we discussed this. I've discussed this on um, 
the early line as well with Dane and, and Kevin Walsh that um, Antonio Conte is a very adamant, very forward, blunt kind of guy, and he's and he's really going to show you his true colors all the time, especially to the media. He's very similar to Mourinho in a way, except he's got a bit more of a temper than Mourinho does. Mourinho's kind of smirky uh, in a sense. But Conte was basically saying how he really hates the whole condensed schedule situation. But but it's just it's the same for everyone else. So this is just him being himself. He's just always complaining to the media any way he can. I mean, do, does anyone love to complain more than soccer managers? I mean, literally, literally. Klopp did the same, too. Yeah, Klopp complained. I mean, Mourinho. Mourinho is the most legendary complainer. Nothing has ever been fair to a team that Mourinho has ever coached. I mean, even... Even Pep, you know, I think Pep, like, you know, Pep Guardiola used to be a guy who was, you know, full of life and meditative and thoughtful. And, uh, you know, now, I mean, he just seems like someone who's been grinded down by his job. Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with the Premier League because all those guys who just mentioned are, are, are playing in there and they seem to voice their opinions a lot more in that. But look, um, so the the Mach 11 that came out as, as of recently for Inter didn't really have their starting defenders in there. The main starting defender, the three at the back, was Milan Skriniar. They don't have DeFry in there. They're not going to have Diego Godin, apparently. It's going to be Ranocchia and Bastoni. Bastoni is one of their younger, talented center backs. Um, it's a pretty good game to get him into just to further along his development, especially if Godin might be leaving this summer. But... At the end of the day, just by by the way Conte is just giving his press conferences, the the way things have been in going with him, and I think he really wants to go forward with the league, Davis, I don't really think Inter's heart is in it to win this match. And for me, I, I'm going to kind of have to back off of them in this scenario. Yeah, I think I think that's probably fair. I mean, I just I'm not I'm not overall, I think, a big believer in them in general. They tend to be a team that spends a ton of money. The results are underwhelming right and that's just I mean that's kind of just been their thing for for I mean you would know better than I would but um that's just kind of that's just kind of they're a lot better than what they were but they that stigma is going to be there until you win something yeah for sure yeah that that is just going to be who you are until you I mean even when you know win the Copa Italia make you know just win some and this is like the Tottenham problem right is like finish top four as many times as you want but like win win something at some point they haven't won anything since their treble with Mourinho back in 2010 when they beat Bayern. So this is, I mean, it's a running thing now. I mean, any trophy is just good enough, but the way Conte is driven, he doesn't really want to go down this scenario in which he wins this league because we discussed it last week. He thinks 12 games is more than plenty to end up finishing the season. And, and another funny thing about how, how this season could end for Serie A, they're, they're already saying... They're alluding to at any time if someone gets sick or like a decent amount of player gets sick within a squad, they want to cancel the season as soon as possible. And the funniest part is there's really? two different yeah, and there's two different. This is the way they operate. I don't know why, but everyone gets frustrated by it. So there's two different scenarios that they want to go down with. One, they have the playoff to go with. Okay, that's not that bad. It just really varies on how many teams you want to allow in the playoff to potentially win this league, right? If you're going to be allowing the top eight teams, it's not really that fair because Napoli and Milan really aren't even in the discussion to win the title. And if they somehow get their stuff together, especially Napoli on their best day, they could beat anybody. They beat Liverpool. Um, that, that's the scenario could go down. The other way is that they have an algorithm to go down. And they're going to use an algorithm to determine a winner of the league. And knowing the history of this league, knowing the sketchiness of it all, with all their owners, all the scandals that they've had, it would probably be the worst case scenario that they would go down and choose at this point. So I I don't... Can you imagine the NBA deciding an algorithm? Yeah. Um, So this this would be my thought. I don't think... That I don't think that one player testing positive will actually, in practice, send everyone back home. I, I think the far more likely outcome is some player is going to test positive. They're going to be asymptomatic. They're not going to be sick at all. And um, they are going to be sent, like, 
everything will just continue as normal. I think the same thing will happen in the NBA. I think the same thing will happen when we get to NFL season, baseball season. It's going to be done on a case-by-case basis. And if if the leagues are making the decision to come back, I mean, we've already seen this with the Bundesliga, right? Um, They had a bunch of players from a Tier 2 team uh, uh, from Dynamo Dresden. They had, like, three of their starters um, test positive for the coronavirus and— those guys were just not allowed to play, but the other, you know, all of the other uh, second Bundesliga teams were still playing. So I, I, I think even in Italy, even if they try and be hardos, uh, I just, I just, there's no way, there's no way the owners are going to allow any of that stuff to happen. I, I, and that totally makes sense. It's logical, but at the end of the day, it's still Italy. They're not, they're not just, they're just not logical people. They don't, they don't make any sense. They can't even figure out what a handball rule is. They change. They changed the rule of the handball. So, like, this is important in terms of just any kind of betting that you want to get into because if they don't even know a certain rule, that's a very vital rule, like, inside the box. So, basically, the the general rule of thumb for a handball, just for anyone who's listening, is kind of getting into the sport while everything else isn't going on at the moment. Uh, It's your intent to put your hand out to stop the ball from potentially denying a goal-scoring opportunity or just any part of the field, but it's more decisive, obviously, in the penalty area because it leads to a penalty, a yellow card, red card, um, depending on the scenario. But at this point, even if a defender is not trying to use their hands, trying to keep them against their body, if a player kicks them with the ball, they will call handball. So, I mean, that that in itself is just so indecisive and so typical Italy that they can't figure out something like that. It would lead me to believe that, you know, even if a player has a cough and they're not even testing positive for the coronavirus, they would shut the season down because they, they look for anything to just be so ridiculous and, and so dramatic uh, at the end of the day there. So, again, do you like um, with the 90 minutes going straight to penalties or do you would you rather see some overtime play out? Because I understand where they're coming from in this scenario that they don't want to tire all these guys out with an immediate potential, you know, 120 minute match and then go to penalties because I mean, you could th- imagine all the injuries that could potentially rack up in that scenario. Yeah, I think I think basically there's not another option. I think this should be the way that all cup games go because, you know, already we're seeing guys pick up muscle injuries a little bit, you know, a little bit more than we thought that they would. Uh, and that's with teams being able to make five substitutions. I mean, I guess maybe, maybe I would say maybe if you allowed 11 substitutions and an 11 man benches or whatever, then you could go the whole 120 minutes. And like, you could literally do like hockey line changes in the second in, uh, in overtime or something, then maybe you let it happen. But that's really the only scenario where I can see that working out. Yeah, I I would I would think uh, something like that uh, would be more beneficial for all these teams because at the end of the day, if Italy wants to get 12 more games in, they really got to do it. And also, they want to get the final out of the way, which would be on the 17th. So they would get right back into things there. So I just want to get into some of these props and and, and all that uh, for for this match. And I and I think something that I really do like um, at this point in the season is the the amount of corner kicks taken uh, in a game. Because I, I do think at the end of the day, if we're going to see some sloppy defending, some sloppy finishing, a lot of the time that could lead to corners. And, and I do like where you can get a round number of uh, 10 corner kicks, I believe it was. Um, and, and for me, I love something like that because you could really see a lot of teams loving to take corners. Because Especially a team like Napoli has the ability to just create so many chances. And a lot of the times... They have smaller players inside the box. It, it might not always be as great for Lorenzo Insigne to just, you know, get inside the box, get ready for a cross. He's going to be the one sending in those crosses all the time. I know Jose Calajona is another guy for DFS that you love to rock with. Is, is corner kick something that you like taking a look at when you're looking at some prop bets uh, in these games? So I, I do like corner props. And uh, the ones where you, the, the matches where you're really going to love those um, are going to be really like games that end up being really frenetic. You know, uh, these teams are trying really hard. They're shooting a ton because what corner kicks come from trying to shoot the ball at the goal, the ball goes out of bounds, right? Like that's, that's just sort of, that's generally how corner kicks are found. You know, sometimes they happen over when guys are dribbling next to the corner flag and stuff. And if we think that this is going to be a really defensive game, we're going to see lots of shots from range and things like that. 
uh, which is which is really, you know, just kind of the way that things work in Italy a ton. Like, I, I think that another interesting thing about these lines is that we see they're they're scored similarly between leagues, like same amount of corners to be expected in Italy as we see in Spain, as we see in Germany. And, you know, pretty much the line is going to be nine and a half, ten or ten and a half uh, per team. So for like someone like Italy, I would actually like to bet overs because those are defensive games where teams are less likely to score and more likely to have to push the envelope. Yeah, I, I totally agree there because you see so many times where defenders always have their arms behind their back and they just keep their feet out in front and basically they're playing no crosses in the middle of the box. We want to eliminate any chances that we could give up there. Just send them into the corner. We'll reset our defense and then we'll we'll try and go from there because at the end of the day, that's just old school Italian defending, right? They don't want to give you anything easy. They want to make you work for everything. So I can see a scenario in something like that. So for the total in this game, it's really just two and a half is the number to play around with here. It's pretty close in general, over two and a half at minus 122, under two and a half, minus 114. For for me, I, I think I want to lean under two and a half. I, I definitely see a scenario in which if Antonio Conte just wants to make take his subs out at a certain point and, and just put in the younger guys that he maybe was alluding to, then I could you could maybe jump in on a live bet and go with the over. But for me, I think I'm just going to go under two and a half. Um, this is the first match both of these teams are playing, and I don't know. For me, it just feels safer. So I I like the over. On, I, I think it's like a systematic over where as these games return, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be wanting overs just because I'm expecting the defending quality to be poor. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think I was telling Dane and Kevin that um, the second Atalanta's in it, whatever game Atalanta's playing in, I'm absolutely going the over in every single day. If you give me team totals, game totals, it doesn't matter what it is. I just think they're just gonna be trying to you know get a high volume of shots putting in as many as they can, especially uh, going with the corners. But we will be talking MLS tournament coming up next on the free kick. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to the free kick here on this Saturday morning. The MLS is finally returning. Davis, did you place any bets on the MLS being the first American team sport to return? Uh, I I probably would not have. I would have assumed that because the MLS is so spread out and because their central leadership is generally not good, I would have thought, basically, I would have assumed NBA gets back first, then football, then hockey, then baseball, right? I would have thought I would have thought MLS would have been, you know, pretty much last, but, you know, more power to them for for figuring things out and uh, and getting back. Yeah, especially going with a, a date that after they knew what the NBA was doing, right? Cuz the NBA is really taking their time with it. We see more and more reports about some guys being sketched out by it. I think I just saw Carmelo Anthony before we started talking on here saying he's still up in the air about that scenario. So, I mean, more power to the MLS, right? So, they're going to be going with a season-long tournament, all uh, not a season-long, a month-long tournament where it has every single team in the MLS. Whether or not I agree with the amount of teams that are in the MLS, that is a different story, a topic of conversation for another day. But the first match that we do know is going to take place is David Beckham's Inter-Miami going to be facing off against their state rivals in Orlando City. Davis, I I do like where they went with this, right? They want to start creating a a type of rivalry scenario to the biggest cities in Florida going up against each other. Orlando's been in the league for a few years now. Um, They've had Kaká play for them. David Beckham is arguably the biggest name in the league's history. probably is besides Landon Donovan, right? He gets his own team now. Uh, We've heard about this for years, and he's finally there. What are you expecting from this? Are you excited for this to be the first matchup to happen? Because personally, I am. Because I think this is a great decision to have your brand new team uh, be placed at the forefront of this tournament. Yeah, it's it's really awesome. You know, we are we're gonna get first of all, this is gonna be a game that like a lot a lot of people watch relative to 
you know, the average MLS game, there's less on TV. There's more reason to watch the first game. You know, there are going to be a lot of people who watch this first game and probably don't watch any uh, any other games after that, you know. And uh, Inter-Miami has, you know, some uh, some MLS legends, right? Uh, Lee Nguyen has been in the league for a long time. Juan Aguadelo has been in the league for a long time. Uh, Chicharito is going to be a name that people remember. He of Manchester United, uh, Real Madrid fame. Uh, Will Trapp, uh, if you ever have played uh, football manager or FIFA career mode, Will Trapp, when he was a teenager, would be like one of like the 99 potential overall guys. So you'd want to sign him away um, from the Columbus crew. So, I mean, they, you know, they have some good players it's hard for these expansion um, teams to do very well the way the MLS works because basically they don't get the superstar defenders. So interesting how the MLS works where you have the defenders and some of the midfielders are literally going to be like, I mean, they'd be playing in, in park leagues in Europe, right? They'd be playing, they'd be playing beer league on Sundays and then you'll have them playing next to, you know, Zlatan and, Chicharito and guys who get transferred over, um, you know, Felipe Gutierrez, who was a starter at the top flight in Spain, you know, Josef Martinez was a starter in Italy before coming over. So it's just, it's a very interesting league how that works because of the designated player salaries. Yeah, it, it really is insane. And I, and I was, I always try to explain it to people. The pay discrepancy in the MLS is one of the most bizarre things I think you will ever see, right? Because you have a really good player they might not even get 150 grand a year. And then you're looking at an Andrea Pirlo would be coming over here who's clearly on his last leg and a few million dollars a year, and that's just basically off of his own name. Um, I do love the location that they chose to go uh, with in Florida. I think it's definitely a smarter move. Florida is one of the better states to play out this tournament, um, especially if you're just going with a month long. I, I do love how they do plan on... Uh, returning to the regular season after this is done the winner of this tournament will be getting a CONCACAF Champions League um, placement so that's really huge and we we talk about all the time how important Champions League is uh, getting your brand out there the TV money and everything that you can get in Europe it's you could argue it's literally the same kind of logic applied in with the MLS and uh, the way the CONCACAF Champions League goes over here so I'm really fascinated to see how that goes down I'm a little dis. It's it's still disheartening to not see Joseph Martinez um, and Atlanta United's fans. Because isn't it funny to you? Um, so so we'll tie in the American sports here too, right? So I'm a Mets fan. I always watch um, the NL East all the time. Whenever the Mets play the Braves, it's just so shocking to me how little fans show up to watch the Braves. And the Braves aren't a bad franchise whatsoever, right? You could argue they could have won more World Series than they did. Only the one in 1995. But this isn't a team that's absolutely terrible all the time. They have trouble filling sure. up their ballpark. Atlanta United is such a young and new team. They fill out an entire football stadium and have arguably yep. the best atmosphere you could want from a team. I mean, that's the only thing that's disappointing not to see, but that's going to happen anywhere with any of these leagues. But I mean, I don't know. It's just kind of disappointing because it's just really nice to see something like that within the MLS, uh, considering their age and expansion teams like that. Yeah, I mean, I always thought it was so cool that a team that, uh, you know, the football team in Atlanta would have to pipe in crowd noise, right, to uh, to get people excited, to make it seem like there was a ton going on there. The Braves have a ton of TV fans because Ted Turner owns the Braves and he owned a television network, so that made things work for them. But they, they never had a ton of fans in the seats, so it was just always really cool. And also, you know, Atlanta, one of the most dominant teams in the league as well, you know, especially in the regular season. They've been so good in uh, in years past with, but now Josef Martinez and Miguel Almiron, you know, not uh, not uh, with the team anymore. So they'll have, to, they'll have to keep cycling through that young Latin American talent. Yeah. So speaking of that, right? Because we're obviously going to be playing a lot of DFS. I know you're going to be jumping in on the DFS. Who are some of the names that you kind of want and expect to see step up for Atlanta United in this situation? Because Joseph Martinez, this isn't a you know setting out for the tournament it's the season because that's what a torn acl will do to you at this point um right so who are you leaning towards in this because it's really hard to replace a guy like that 
So the the guy, the stud that's uh, been in in waiting for uh, Atlanta United has been Ezekiel Barco, who they purchased from a small Argentinian team, you know, and they they paid real money for him, which is so interesting because that's normally not how things work in the MLS, right? In the MLS, generally your designated player money where you can give multiple millions of dollars to guys are going to be overaged guys coming over from Europe, you know, Zlatan and Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard and Wayne Rooney. So what Atlanta did with Ezekiel Barco is instead they took a gamble on a really young kid. I believe they purchased Barco when he was only 17 years old um, from Argentina. And their plan was, okay, we're going to give him money now. Then we're actually going to make double our money once he proves himself for us. And he's going to get purchased by a European team. So their hope has got to be that Barco is able to not only take over the creative, you know, that distribution role that Miguel Almiron had, but also take over some of that goal scoring that uh, that Jose Martinez was able to do for them. He's going to have to do, uh, you know, a little bit of both. And then also uh, Gonzalo uh, Pitti Martinez was a buy from them in the offseason and have to think that they're expecting him to do basically the same thing. Yeah. It, again, like usual, I mean, anytime you have a big goal scorer in any sport step out, it's going to be kind of difficult. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how that goes there. Carlos Vela, man. I mean, Alexi Lalas likes to call him one of the 25 best players in the world, whether you agree with that or not. I don't agree with it whatsoever. He is fantastic in the MLS. There's no doubt about it. It was a disappointing end to their season for LAFC. Is this a team you're looking forward to, um, to potentially win this tournament? And is he, is he your MVP? Is this your go-to guy? If you, if it doesn't matter what the price is for him, are you putting him in your lineup for DFS? I mean, Vela is for sure one of the, the best players in the league. Um, People, uh, you know, if they're not if they're not huge MLS guys, maybe they don't remember um, Sebastian Giovinco's 2016 season. So Sebastian Giovinco in the MLS, I mean, he was the. I mean, I just there maybe like Ronaldo in one of his early Real Madrid seasons is what the comparison was. You know, Giovinco would take every corner kick for the uh, for Toronto. He would take all their penalty kicks. Yeah, this. So 2016, he plays 34 games, plays 3,000 minutes, 21 goals, 16 assists, averages over uh, a 7.75 match rating from who scored, and uh, you know, and Toronto uh, goes on to win the championship. Vela is about as close as you are going to get to that in the MLS now. Now he doesn't play as many minutes as uh, he doesn't play as many minutes as Giovinco did, and he actually has more talented teammates as a member of LAFC because. LAFC has this massive budget and also they're so intelligent, right? Uh, LAFC has just been one of the best teams in buying, you know, they have, they have so many dudes who are uh, fantastic players, especially for the, for the strength of the league. But I think that, I think that Vela, yeah, he is a phenomenal player and probably the best player in the league. Yeah. And it's crazy too. That's again, another team that's relatively young expansion team, LAFC, you know, we're, we're so accustomed to teams um, in other cities kind of struggling at a certain point, you know, like we saw the Texans struggle for a while when it, when they came up. They couldn't really get things get off the ground there. LAFC, Carlos Vela, it's a home run there. Uh, we're going to be sticking a little bit into LA. Uh, he is not arriving yet, but the, another huge Mexican star in Chicharito should be going to LA Galaxy, replacing Ibrahimovic uh, basically at that point, right, as the star name, as the focal of that team. What are you kind of expecting from him? Do you expect him to kind of rival Carlos Vela? Do you think it's going to take him some time to get into? Because they're different players now. Chicharito is a little bit more of a poacher opposed to Carlos Vela. But for me in the MLS, he's got some of the best off-ball movement that you could be looking for. And for the first time in a while, in my opinion. Well, you know, the thing about the MLS is that just being like a, a top quality poacher for what would work in Europe, you know, what works in Spain. So it's like, you know, Chicharito was getting minutes for Sevilla. He was getting minutes for West Ham. He was getting minutes for these top flight teams. And that's going to work in MLS because you're going to get the space. Like Chicharito is going to be able to be 14 yards away from goal, turn his shoulder, and he's going to have a clean look at goal. It's it's just It's just kind of the way the defending works. Guys are just not as talented. They're not going to track your movement as well. And it's uh, it's a more wide open game so I would expect Chicharito to have a Vela like influence on the LA Galaxy 
my I guess except he is not going to be he's not going to be a creative player. He is going to be a finisher of moves whereas Vela is both a creator and a finisher. I think he's going to be taking their penalties too. I, I just sure. feel like yeah. when you when you bring in a guy like that, it's you know egos get involved. I feel like it's very hard to just tell him no when you're giving him all that money and and again like playing with the guys he's playing with. It's kind of it's kind of weird and hard to say no to the guy like that. Um, any other teams that you're looking forward to or, or players that you will keep an eye on to slide into your lineups really quick before we head out? I mean, I do. I just, I'm very excited to see my uh, my hometown, uh, Sporting Kansas City. Uh, I'm really excited to see them come back. Albeit, they're going to be without uh, Felipe Gutierrez, who is their best player when they return for the tournament. Well, it's going to be an exciting tournament for sure, but we're going to be talking about some of the top weekend matchups here on the Free Kick. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. All right, everybody. Welcome back into the Free Kick final segment of the day. And my favorite segment of the show is when we get in to all of our top matches and bets that we love and some of Davis's DFS plays. But first, I'd be remiss if we weren't talking about um, an Arsenal mishap and uh, a Spurs mishap. Always, always love it when these London teams just make headlines for all the wrong reasons. So we'll start off with Arsenal. They they have one of their friendly exhibition matches, which is a good thing for teams to have prior to heading into official matches. So it's nice to see Arsenal get something out of the way there. But it's not great when they lose three to two to Brentford, and the highlights come out. David Luiz being put in a spin cycle. Look, I I am very passionate about defenders. I guess that just comes with uh, being an AC Milan fan. Just growing up and as an Italian American, it's just what Italians are known for. David Luiz is such a dreadful player to watch defensively, especially when he's playing at the center back position. Um, infamously known for the seven to one defeat against Germany, is one of the star studded center backs in that matchup. He's so much better as a center defensive mid. But that's not what Arsenal signed him for. We don't know why Arsenal signed him for that reason. Um, Look, this is not good. And this is not something you want to have happen when you have to play Manchester City as your first game back. Uh, No, right? That... So so brutal for them to have to play City when they first get back. I, I, I will say this about David Luiz. I, I think that his mistakes look more spectacular than they actually are. Like, I think because he's so big and because his hair is goofy and he Side just looks kind of funny. Yeah, like Sideshow Bob. Right, exactly. Like, I, I actually think David Luiz gets kind of, I think he kind of gets a bad rap. I, I actually like to watch him play. I think he's good. I like him as a center defensive mid, but when it comes to being yeah, a center yeah, back right. and, and taking on that responsibility, it's just not him. And the more frustrating part is everyone knows that, but yet Arsenal still go out and get him to play that position when they have those holes there. So for me, look, it's an exhibition match. You can't take too much away from it, but three goals to a Brentford side. I mean, come on. What is going to happen when they play Manchester City at this point? So if you didn't have City before... You should probably take City now at this point. Um, so we're going to be switching over to Spurs now. Not the San Antonio Spurs. Not about LaMarcus Aldridge uh, not playing in this summer. It's about Tottenham Hotspur, Jose Mourinho, the club who hasn't won a trophy in seeming... Well, I don't even think they've won a trophy in our lives. Um, and, and that's just even those side trophies that you could win during the summer just for participating. Deli Ali, man, look... When he's coming up, you think he's going to be this next wonder kid, what we see as Mbappe right now, Erling Haaland, Jaden Sancho. He was at that level, and then he kind of regressed a little bit, and he's having his off-field issues, and now he's having just... It's just one of the... You just shake at it, and you're like, come on, man. Like, what what are you doing here? He He's not getting called up for the next match for Spurs because he was seemingly mocking the whole coronavirus situation. It's not really a mature move by him. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just silly, and you would think a player of his caliber that's been up and playing for Spurs for, for a few years now would just get it, but he just doesn't, and and it's just another frustrating thing, and it's just so Spursy, right? Yeah, right. I, yeah, I think that's um, I think that's actually a great point. It is just it's extremely extremely Spursy for them to be 
coming back and they're in the middle of, uh, you know, they, they have this new coach and theoretically things are supposed to be going in a better direction for them. And it's not right. And, and, and now it, uh, it's, it's going to be overtaken by something else. And, you know, Jose's going to have to comment on it. And it is, and it's, it's also very Spursy for Deli Alley to not be, uh, you know, for Deli Alley to be not, we're not talking about his play. We're not talking about how we're excited to watch him play. We're talking about him being an idiot on Twitter. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing, though, too, because we see the Champions League race in the Premier League. We know how close it is. Manchester United has been awful all season. They're three points away from Chelsea for the fourth spot. And Spurs have a golden opportunity here. And it's just so funny to me because they 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 were so close to winning the biggest possible prize for a club in the Champions League. And yet here they are just struggling. They fire Pochettino, who's arguably their greatest manager the past 30 years. Probably it's probably not even an argument now that I'm thinking about Spurs and their history. But they right. bring in Mourinho, and it's just like, just get it together for a few games, man. Just get it together. Like, you have Harry Kane. Like, how much longer is Harry Kane really going to sit there and say, I can't handle this. I got to get out of here. I got to win something in my career. Otherwise, it's just a waste. Because... Unfortunately for him, I think it's coming in that scenario, and I do think, considering Real Madrid's situation with the goal scoring and Harry Kane's situation with Spurs not winning, are we seeing a Gareth Bale 2.0 here or Luka Modric situation where they're just leaving Spurs to go to another golden opportunity? Because Harry Kane, although he's not young, he's not getting any younger at this point. I just for me, for me, this is this is such a vital end to the season for Spurs more than any other team in the Premier League. Um, it's extremely, it's extremely vital for them, I think. Um, and I think if they want to keep their star players and also, you know, find ways to bring new star players in, you know, I just, I don't know if an eighth place finish is going to cut it. They got to get some points and they got to do it fast. And I don't know if they can, like, I literally don't know if they have the ability to do it. Yeah. And you, you know, what's, even funnier about that like we talk about all these managers complaining all the time what's gonna happen if Mourinho finishes eighth like you mentioned like a scenario like that you think he's gonna keep his mouth shut and just keep going no that's gonna be even more turmoil more controversy within that locker room players are not gonna want to handle it they're not gonna want to deal with it he's gonna want to bring in his own guys Daniel Levy will probably listen to whatever Mourinho says Levy's kind of a shrewd guy at the end of the day, you know, he's he's kind of up there with the with the will ponds of the world, right? They're not really beloved whatsoever by the fan base. They're always vilified uh, in a fashion. So hopefully things get better for teams uh, <laughs> that root for the London sides that are Arsenal and Spurs. Um, any other final thoughts on Premier League returning, FA Cup stuff? What are you looking forward to more? Because um, I know we discussed this FA Cup a little bit last week. Um, anything change uh, in your opinion with some of the stuff that has come out? I mean, in England, something that I, I think we have to be looking forward to is is that race for the number four spot because we uh, we have some jobs on the line for sure. You know, if, if Manchester United is not able to get to the top of the table there, I mean, who's safe, right? Or, or I mean, that, that whole squad, the coaching staff, like everyone, if they miss the Champions League again and they get beat out by Leicester City, I mean, what if, what if Wolves, right? What if Wolves gets up to that fifth spot, and we have no European football for Manchester United next year. I mean, that is a disaster for Manchester United. So here's my thing with Manchester United, right? And, and I used to think about this, like a scenario with the Jets, right? I want, I want the Jets to win. I want them to do well. You always want your team to do well. But is it in their best interest to do well? Because that means your coach and your manager keeps their job. Adam Gase keeps his job if the Jets make the playoffs somehow, right? That's not necessarily a good thing. I don't want Adam Gase to stay. I want him gone. I never wanted him here. Do fans at Manchester United really want Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to stay? I mean, what has he proven over the past like two years or so that shows he's qualified to manage a club of this caliber? I don't think he's shown anything of that quality that you could say, oh, a couple weeks here and there, nice job. Winning against PSG in the Champions League, it buys him time, but... There's nothing that I've seen over the course of a season that says, yes, absolutely, he should stay. Because they're arguably in this Champions League race because of other teams messing up. I mean, the the reason that he has this job is because he was a Manchester United legend, right? That That's why that's why he has the job. And I don't think he's a great fit. I don't think he is, you know, the best possible coach they could have. It's just, you know, it's 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 just not great. 
No, it's, it's, it's not great whatsoever. So praying for all you Manchester United fans out there. But hey, if you get Jaden Sancho, it uh, definitely lessens the blow there. Um, let's get into some of the games, right? Schalke Leverkusen, we talked about it at the start of the show. Um, Leverkusen is obviously in fifth place, back on five with the goal differential uh, behind Gladbach. Uh, some of the lines coming out, I mean, Schalke is just absolutely dreadful. They haven't won a game since the league has returned. They're plus 140. The draws at plus 230. Leverkusen plus 160 on the money line. That's something I really like. I think over two and a half, again, something as well. I think that's that's something I really want to go with. Now, result in both to score, I know that's something I really discussed a lot. Um, and, and especially in the Bundesliga where you see goals all the time. So that's a very likely scenario. I actually don't think that is something that is... That's safe to play here because I don't really see Schalke scoring because they're just so bad in that regard. But you never know because they could just put one in the back of the net off of some crazy goal. Anything can happen. But, you know, Leverkusen there, if you do see a scenario in which Schalke somehow scores a goal, go with Leverkusen plus 210. Um, we know Gladbach plays Bayern um, as well. So this is definitely a must-win game. We, we talked about the opening that uh, potentially is there for Leverkusen. What do you like in this match? Have you seen anything that you like? Something that I didn't discuss? Do you like something that I discussed? Uh, tell me what you like. Uh, I think uh, just the the right way to probably approach this match for me is just going to be probably betting Leverkusen just to win outright. And I think why that is, so far we've seen only 20% of home teams in the Bundesliga win. So I think home field advantage is basically dead under these current conditions, right? I just I just think that playing at home without referee bias, without the fan noise, I just think it's really it's basically just like playing a scrimmage. And I don't think that's built into the betting lines. I think the true line here is probably Leverkusen, you know, minus 250, maybe even minus 300 if this was just being played like a neutral field game, essentially. So uh, and I know people don't always like to bet to win lines at soccer that don't play plus plus money. They really like to bet, you know, uh, uh, you know, plus 115 as opposed to minus 115, just because it feels better to be getting a little bit extra of your money back but Leverkusen is they really are much better than Schalke yeah I mean Schalke has been so disappointing I think I placed a bet on them in one of the first games back I thought okay you know maybe they get Todibo in there from Barcelona maybe their defensive alignment's a little bit better all of a sudden they lost and it was a little bit more of the same and that's a really worrying sign when you're doing more picking up on your bad habits that you had before that break and it carried over and I don't think I've faded a team so fast um, in a league, uh, I'll probably be fading AC Milan, probably the only other team uh, to do so in, in terms of fading. That just shows uh, how confident I am in my team. Gladbach and Bayern. Um, look, do you, do you see any potential like upset or way that Gladbach can pull off something of a win here? Or are you playing Bayern? I've been taking Bayern a lot first half money line. Uh, I, I lost on the first half over in the cup game for them, but I've been 3-0 and so far betting heavy favorites in the first half. I think so. I think the move here definitely is not. I mean, if you wanted to throw, if you wanted to do a parlay like Leverkusen money line, uh, Munich money line, uh, maybe you throw, maybe you throw uh, Wolfsburg in there with your with your stuff as well, or or Dortmund if you want to do all those parlays. I like that, but I don't see anything here in terms of an individual bet that I'm really in on. Yeah. So so let me really quick before we wrap up, how kind it. I get so worried with money line parlays in this sport, right? It's, it's, I feel like it's so difficult all the time to play it just because of the potential of the draw. Is, it, is that something you try to limit if you're doing a money line parlay? Do you try to keep it two to three games or, or do you go big sometimes trying to get four to five? So I think if you're going to do it, you just go all in, right? You go in on, on like seven or eight games or whatever. And then, and then when you hit, you know, you're, uh, you're feeling great about it. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's pretty much what any parlay we could talk about. But Davis, thank you so much for coming on once again. Guys, enjoy the games. We'll see you next time here on The Free Kick. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.